This week's episode of Trek Geeks is brought to you by Fansets, the place for amazing pin collectibles. They have over 150 officially licensed Star Trek pins to choose from with new pins coming out every month. See all their pins and collectibles that they have to offer over at fansets.com and stay tuned for this week's special Trek Geeks discount code. Fansets, we are Star Trek. This week's episode of Trek Geeks is also brought to you by Eagle Moss and the official Star Trek Starships collection. You can bring home the Enterprise D from Star Trek The Next Generation for only $4.95 when you sign up today at st-starships.com slash trekgeeks. This is Robert O'Reilly, Chancellor Garon, on Star Trek The Next Generation and Deep Space Nine. And you are listening to the biggest little podcast this side of the Alpha Quadrant. It's the Trek Geeks Podcast with Dan Davidson and Bill Smith. Glory to you and your house. From Science Lab 4 on Deep Space Nine and a Romulan mind reading device, illegal by Podfleet command standards. It's the biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant, your independent Star Trek podcast. Greetings, one and all. Welcome to Trek Geeks. I am so excited to be here. I'm your co-host, Bill Smith, and we have uh, a, a different show on tap for you this week than, than we thought we would. And of course, when I say we, I do have a co-host let me say, if there were any memories that I had to go looking for in his head, I would leave them there because he's forgotten almost everything he's ever learned. What? He's the... <laughs> he's... The <laughs> that was good. That was really good. Sorry. He, he's he's the, the non-sponge-like Dan Davidson. And Dan, um, some might say your brain is like a sieve, buddy. <laughs> some, some may call it that. Some may call it other things. But uh, thanks for introducing me, Bill. I am always... Uh, so happy to be here with you to talk Star Trek. And uh, this week, wow, we had originally planned to talk about our favorite collectibles uh, throughout the uh, lifetime of Star Trek. We were going to talk about what we have and what we wish we had. But um, things got uh, thrown a little bit out of whack um, for that scheduled release because you know what? When the universe gives you William Sadler to talk on the Trek Geeks podcast, uh, you take it. So here we are. <laughs> I was just going to say that. You stole my line. Oh, I'm sorry. I wrote it down right there. <laughs> yeah, when when William Sadler makes himself available and says, hey, let's, let's talk, we say, uh, yes, sir, and when. <laughs> and so we figured that instead of waiting to drop that conversation, we would drop it this week uh, because it is such a, a fabulous uh, conversation that we had with Bill. 
It was amazing. I got first of all, I'm going to stop right now and say we cannot give enough thanks to our Camp Kittimer friend Carolyn for helping set this up. She reached out to us. She told us that she knew Bill. She wanted him to come on the show because um, he thought he'd be a great fit for what we like to talk about. And she got us in touch with him. It was a great couple of weeks preparing and talking to him and email. And we got him on uh, just the other day to talk Deep Space Nine as well as all of the other things that you're going to hear about. And we had an absolute fantastic time. So, Carolyn, we owe you a drink. We owe you dinner. We owe you something probably for the rest of your life because it was pretty awesome. You know, William Sadler, he's a guy who still is working very much you know, actively in Hollywood. You know, you've seen him in Die Hard 2. You've seen him in Wonderfalls. You've seen him in, in Roswell. You've seen him in, in Power on Stars. Uh, he, you've seen him in the Marvel Universe as the President of the United States. Mm-hmm. He's everywhere, and we're going to talk a little bit about some of that. And, of course, his time is Luther Sloan, uh, director of Section 31 on Star Trek Deep Space Nine, uh, a character who's only in three episodes, Dan, but it kicks off something that reverberates through Star Trek almost like the, the Mirror Universe does for you. Oh, I love Section 31 so much. It's funny, the things that are so anti-Star Trek to some people are some of my favorite things about Star Trek, and maybe it's because it's not what we expect in Star Trek. I have loved Section 31 since it since it first came out with William Sadler back in Season 5 of, of Deep Space Nine. I love it to this day with Discovery. I hope we see something in the future with Michelle Yeoh that we talked about last week. So, yeah, I'm a pretty happy camper today. Uh, Camp Kittermerite, too. <laughs> well, Dan, speaking of Camp Kittimer, um, people may want to send us their comments, questions, suggestions on a variety of topics, including how to, fi- you know, how to find Camp Kittimer. I think you have all of that info right there in your hot little hands. It is very possible. It is so easy to get in touch with us, Bill. Just head right on over to trekgeeks.com slash contact, and there you will find a variety of ways to get in touch with either Bill or myself. You can leave us a voicemail. You can Skype chat us. You can fill out that contact form and type us out a personalized message, or make it even easier on yourself. Just click on that big blue button on the right side of the website and leave us a message with your very own voice using SpeakPipe. And speaking of Camp Kittimer, it is the place to be on Facebook these days. Bring your Trek talk and your Trek picks and your Trek love with all of the fans of Star Trek over on our site. Um, it's very easy to join. Just head right on over to facebook.com slash groups slash Camp Kittimer and be ready to be part of a truly wonderful social media experience. And as always, we want to thank our wonderful admins, Heather, Jackie, and Dan for the amazing job that they do running the camp. Guys, we cannot do it without you. So thank you so much. But uh, please remember, everyone, that any comments or messages that you leave us in any of these places may be used in a future episode. Bill? Thank you, Dan. I really appreciate that information. That's really great. Dude, we, we talked to William Sadler. Uh, I, I'm aware. I talked to him more than you did, actually, because I talked to him ahead of time. <laughs> <laughs> two two nerds from New Hampshire, two middle aged nerds from New Hampshire, talked to uh, a guy who was in Die Hard too. Let's just let's just preface this. I mean, let's put this in the perspective it deserves. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and all three of us were wearing pants this time, allegedly.
Dan, it's time for the news from trucknews.net. Spanning the Alpha Quadrant. For all the news on all the Star Treks, yo. It's trucknews.net. William Sadler. <laughs> what? <laughs> Online at treknews.net. Dan, it's been kind of a quiet week news-wise, but here at Trek Geeks, we have some pretty big news that's related to our good friends and sponsors at Fansets. Uh, yeah, uh, some big news. That is probably an understatement, uh, buddy. Fansets earlier this week came out with their list of upcoming Trek pins, and uh, they are all pretty freaking awesome especially one in particular. So let's get right down to it and break them all down here on Trek Geeks. Yes, um, the November pins, as everyone uh, knows from uh, past weeks, um, the Zindi Aquatic Starship and the Kelvin Timeline Enterprise, those are now both available on the website as of uh, this past weekend. There was a slight delay with the Aquatic Starship, but they're there now. So head right on over and pick those up. And in December... You know, usually Fansets releases two pins a month. Well, not one, not two, not three. Yeah, I, I'm starting to sound like that NBA player. I forget what his name is, but uh, I don't really care about King James. But um, there is a slew of pins coming out in December from our friends at Fansets. And starting off at the beginning of the month, we are going to see the Vorcha-class Klingon Battlecruiser. And in addition, on December 1st, we are going to get a new Discovery pin. Yes, it is Captain Pike from Season 2 of Star Trek Discovery, and that will be out on December 1st. Bill, that is awesome. That pin is phenomenal. It's the cool uniform that we've been talking about. I can't wait to see that pin in just a couple weeks' time. I'm very excited for that. Um, and I'm excited for the Vorcha class Klingon Battlecruiser mm-hmm. because I love the ship pins. I mean, they're a little bigger. They, you know, that, uh, they take up a nice amount of real estate on my wall and my cubicle at work, and I'm just going to add that one to the collection almost straight away. Well, since you like Klingons, buddy, I think you're going to like what's coming out on December 15th because we're going to get two more pins, and they're going to be both Klingons as we welcome the Dora sisters, Lursa and Betor, into the Fansets collection. So that is very awesome as well. But you know what, buddy? That's not all. There's more. I know. There's more going on. Fansets is cranking them out for the entire month of December, folks. Fansets will be offering their very first ever holiday pin, and it's someone that everybody knows very well. Yes, it is Santa Gorn, and he will be available during the month of December with his toothy grin and his Santa hat, complete with the TOS logo right there in the center. Um, it should definitely be on your Christmas list, and if there are any left, they will be back at STLV in August. This is very cool, and I know a good friend of ours is probably very excited about this as well. Allegedly. I have a feeling that Jeff over the tricorder transmissions is probably beaming with pride. Um, you know, if anyone's seen Santa Gorn walking around STLV, I think it's great that he's now memorialized for the holidays. And uh, here's hoping that uh, there's lots of Santa Gorn uh, going out the door because I think this is going to be a pin that people are just going to love. It's going to be fantastic. I know that that's going to be on my Christmas list. Uh, But finally, Bill, I got to say, maybe selfishly, I don't know if it's selfishly is the right word, but we are most excited about this next pin. And I'm just so excited about it that I'm going to send it back to you because I can't even talk right now. (laughs) <laughs> well, coming in early 2019, there will be a brand new Fansets pin exclusively available 
through trekgeeks.com and it is truly gorgeous. We're breaking that news uh, right now on the podcast. Fans had announced it earlier this week. It's a TOS style communicator set in front of a, a TOS Delta, a command Delta, and we're very thrilled and honored to offer this pin. Uh, it's only going to be available through us. So you're not going to be able to get it anywhere else. Not the Fansets website, not uh, not Amazon, not StarTrek.com, only through Trek Geeks. So that's really exciting. Um, we've never been in this kind of position before, and uh, we're excited to, to start offering these pins. Now, we're going to have more details as far as cost and when and where you can get it in a few weeks. But um, I, I am without speech when it comes to how excited I am that we're doing this, Dan. Yeah, it's so awesome. We just, you know, everybody who listens to this show and Discovering Treks knows how much that we love fan sets. And we're not, you know, we're not, you know, exaggerating. The love that we have for these people is is amazing. They're great. Their product is awesome. So for something like this to come about, we are truly honored to to carry the fan set's name. Um, and the pin is gorgeous. Uh, the pictures out there don't do it justice and uh, can't wait to get it out there. So in addition to that, uh, we did want to bring up some additional news regarding fan sets. Um, due to increasing metal costs and export fees, the cost of pins is going to be slightly increasing starting in 2019. So we wanted everybody to know that. For the most, pin, for the most part, uh, pins are going to increase about $1 over the current costs. And in addition to these new, in addition, due to new tax laws starting on January 1st, there will be an 8% tax fee for each sale. Um, we understand that increasing prices is never an easy thing, but you can be rest assured that these increases will guarantee that the quality of their product and the quality of their customer service will remain top notch. If you want more information about this information, including all the new sets, plus the new changes in, in costs, head right on over to fansets.com and click on blog. There you go. isn't really a lot more that we can say about fan sets than we did during our news segment there bill right but we're gonna try <laughs> oh th- that's that's 100 true you know we love fan sets and all the amazing products they have to offer from star trek to alien to harry potter the dc universe there's something for just about everybody as we get really as we get rally rally as we get rally uh, ready to celebrate thanksgiving this week as well as the holiday shopping season we have some big news for our listeners yes big news indeed um first of all we're going to extend last week's code word, Moonlight, until this coming Wednesday uh, as we record November 21st at midnight. We're just going to keep it going for a couple of more days. Then, starting at 12.01 Eastern Time on Thursday, uh, November 22nd, all the way through Tuesday, November 27th, in honor of Black Friday in the United States, you will be able to get 20% off your entire order by entering the code word Black Alert at checkout. That's all capital letters and all one word, Black Alert. That's some big savings on some awesome products by some awesome people, Bill. Um, I think we did something like this similar last year. It was a big success, and I'm so glad they're doing it. And I got to say, I love Black Alert. It's a great code word. <laughs> that it is. Dan, Fansets is pinpoint accuracy. And we thank our friends at Fansets for sponsoring this week's episode. 
You know, it's not too often that we have a guest on Trek Geeks that has an acting career that some may call legendary. You've seen him, all of him, as Colonel Stewart in Die Hard 2, as the Grim Reaper in Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, and as President of the United States Ellis in Iron Man 3, just to name a few. He's appeared in two of my all-time favorite films, The Green Mile as Klaus Dederick, and in Shawshank Redemption as Haywood, the man with the best Hank Williams impersonation ever. He has an acting career that spans the big and little screen, and I'm sure you have seen him on TV shows like Roswell, Wonderfalls, Fringe, Homeland, Madam Secretary, and of course, Hawaii Five-0. The list goes on and on because he has over 160 acting credits to his name, but none more important to Star Trek fans than his portrayal of Luther Sloan, the leader of Section 31 on Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And we're going to talk to him about what it was like on the set of that show right now. It is my honor. It is my privilege for Bill and I to welcome Mr. William Sadler to Trek Geeks. Bill, thank you so much for joining us. This is a big moment for us, and we are so happy to have you here on Trek Geeks. Well, thank you. It's great to be here. After that introduction, I'm 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 really impressed. I'd love to meet this guy. <laughs> the amazing thing is that Dan did that all in one breath. You wouldn't know it. <laughs> and boy, when you say it like that, I've been I've been doing this a while. <laughs> it's impressive. It's, a, it's not as impressive when you do them. You know, you're doing one thing at a time. Which is amazing because Dan has a hard enough time with English as a general rule. So the fact that he right. made that you know, on one take is is stellar. I got to take you know, tip my hat to him. Yeah, absolutely. Well, anyway, it's great to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, it, it is our pleasure. Um, I guess the first thing we want to ask you, Bill, is um, you know you've been doing this for a while. You've got so many great uh, credits to your acting career. What drew you to to being an actor back in the day when you first started out? Um, I was sort of stumbling around in high school. Um, I was doing stand-up as I had played the banjo and I told jokes and I was banjo Bill Sadler all over Buffalo and in the variety shows and, um, um, Grange halls. And I, it, it, it was a tough gig. I don't stand up is stand up is hard. And one day the, uh, but I mean, I was pretty good at it, but, uh, one day my, uh, English teacher, Dan Larkin, uh, said, why don't you uh, try out for the senior play when they were doing Harvey? And I did, and I got the lead role with Elwood P. Dowd and I did it. And it was, it was so much fun. I thought, uh, and I, I was actually, uh, I was surprised at how easy it all came to me um and so it seemed like something that maybe i should pursue um and the second play that i did was um at a community theater and it was called the subject was roses at the amherst players and that was a pulitzer prize winning drama it's the one that launched martin sheen's career on broadway and that by the time i did that one i was just hooked i was like yeah this door just sort of flew open and I said that that's what I'd like to do. Um, I loved the writing. I loved the process. I loved, I especially loved what it taught me about humans and human behavior. 
I think that's what I was most curious about. Um, because when you, when you are given a script, you, all you have are the words. This is what the person says. And you have to work backwards from that to figure out who they are who would and how they're feeling and what you know what 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 is it inside them that's making them say this or do this and so you're you're constantly peeling back peeling the onion back to the you know the mo the things that make us all do what we do and i found that part of it just fascinating i fell in love with uh, digging into these characters motivations I think the thing that surprises me the most is that you started off playing the banjo and telling jokes. And yet I find that you play a lot of serious characters these days. Do you get the chance to do a lot of comedy or is that the kind of thing you want to do more of? Um, I love doing comedy. I'm, I have a, (laughs) (laughs) I would love to do more of it. I would, um, I don't know. I don't exactly know why Hollywood Hollywood decided pretty early on that you know I have you know what resting bitch face is. <laughs> I do. Danny has it. <laughs> right. I have. I have sort of resting axe murder face. <laughs> when if I'm not, and I don't. I don't know what it is. It's it's my looks or it's my intensity or um, you know and casting people and producers i mean right right away decided ooh ooh he's with die hard too you know with colonel stewart um it was hard to it was hard to convince people that i could be funny i had to do it with uh, wonderfalls um to play the father in wonderfalls i had to show them again and again that there was this funny side that i could you know that and in some ways it was more came to me more naturally than the you know, being the ass. Um, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, you know, was another one. I love doing it. Um, um, I just sort of fell into this, you know, villain pocket early on. And Hollywood is Hollywood is great at that. They 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 don't need any convincing. You know, when they say Sadler, oh oh yeah, no, he could kill you and heart <laughs> on your chest and eat a sandwich. Um, <laughs> let's get, let's get him. Let's get that guy. Yeah. Yeah. Did you see him in this? Holy <laughs> shit. So anyway, I, um, it's funny you bring up, uh, you bring up Bill and Ted. I have to say that, uh, the Grim Reaper has changed the way I look at, uh, at clue from oh, here yeah. on in. It's probably one of my favorite bits in the whole movie. Um, but I have to ask you about Die Hard 2 really quick, because I always oh, yeah. said to Dan, if we ever get the chance to talk to, to Bill Sadler, I, I have to ask him about how the scene with naked Tai Chi evolved in Die Hard 2. Um, and now, did they tell you about that up front? I mean, did Ronnie Harlan come to you and say, so Bill, I got this idea. <laughs> uh, I mean, did you know about this going in or were you surprised uh, on set? I didn't oh, no, I don't I wasn't surprised on set. I was surprised at the costume fitting. <laughs> um, literally, literally, I was yeah. I there was there's a scene written into the script and it just says a man doing Tai Chi in a hotel room. Um it doesn't 
I don't even think it's at a, maybe it's at a half naked man doing Tai Chi in him. But I, but it didn't say, you know, bare butt. And I got to the costume fitting and Rennie was there and we tried on all of the rest of my gear. Um, and we got finished and I said, what, what am I wearing in the hotel room scene? <laughs> and there's this really uncomfortable pause and he looked at the customer and he looked at me and then he said in his Finnish accent, he said, well, Bill, actually I was thinking you would be nude. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So I was like, Oh, um, well, I said, well, what, if you push the scene off to the end of the filming and get me a, trainer and get me in the gym and I mean you know I wasn't in bad shape but I wasn't you know you'd be surprised how motivated you get <laughs> you diehard diehard one was like this huge blockbuster and yeah. this was this was the first sequel mm -hmm. you know destined to be seen by millions that summer and I was like get me in the wood damn gym man <laughs> <laughs> and they did, and they did, and we, you know, that, that's that's how it happened. But it wasn't in the script, no. Well, I know scared, that uh, if scared possible, the daylight out of me, I can understand why. If there was a life size fat head sticker of that 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 could be purchased, I'm sure it would be on Bill's uh, wall in his office right now. Actually, I'm thinking, <laughs> what's a fat head sticker? <laughs> that's like this giant wall decal. Oh, 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 oh yes. Take it out like a life size. I think I, you know what? I think I, I listened to one, I listened to one of your podcasts in preparation for this interview. Oh, we're sorry. And, and it happened to be one in which you said you wished that you had, I hadn't <laughs> done the nude scene. <laughs> that, it, that it ruined, I don't know, it ruined your dinner or something. It was, you didn't, um, well, this just got awkward. But I think you were just subconsciously, you know, so, you know, and I secretly loved it. That's true. You were in, secretly enjoying it too much. <laughs> well, on the big screen, it really takes on a new dimension. Much. What's that? On the big screen, it takes on a brand new dimension. That's why I worked out so much. I didn't want to see my flabby, my flabby ass up there, 40 feet wide. <laughs> wow. Um, okay, we're going to shift now because this okay. is starting to get interesting. <laughs> okay. Before we actually get into Deep Space Nine, Bill, is one thing I did want to uh, I want to discuss with you. And as I mentioned in in the intro, Shawshank Redemption is probably one in, in the top three movies for me. I just absolutely love everything about that movie, including your performance. Your performance is great. Um, what was it like to work with all of those people on Shawshank um, and turning Stephen King's novella into what is one of the greatest movies of all time. It definitely should have won best picture over Forrest Gump. And I was very upset that it didn't. Um, but what was that like on that set? I, I had a, I had a wonderful time on that set. It took, and, and it's a good thing because it went on and on forever. We think we filmed for like 11 weeks or something in Mansfield, Ohio, of all places. Um, but I had a, I had a I had a terrific time. The the there was sort of a camaraderie among the, the inmates mm -hmm. um, that was that was great fun for me. Um, 
we used to, uh, I used to love to sit around Morgan Freeman and I would sing, you know, doo-wop songs waiting for, <laughs> waiting for them to set up the shot. There were a lot of, uh, there's a lot of downtime on a film like that where you're just hanging out and waiting. And, uh, and it was, uh, it was lovely. It was, it was great to, you know, shares to hear James Whitmore tell stories about the old days and, and I'm, there was a, it's also the only movie that I've ever done where they, they, they brought us in a couple weeks early to rehearse mm-hmm. and we rehearsed, we, re, they, we blocked out scenes, um, for two weeks before we started filming, which I've never done before or since but it was really really helpful because it gave it gave the actors time to sort of develop these little interpersonal all of that interpersonal relationship stuff that makes it look like they've been together for 19 years right you know it doesn't look like that we we met that afternoon when they started filming that which is the way it usually works um, but that was in, that was intentional. Um, uh, they Frank Frank also cast. Uh, it was interesting. The I think he cast theater people with a lot of theater background, sort of right straight through the cast, um, because he wanted it to be an ensemble. He wanted he wanted the the, the group to be the stars. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, anywhere the camera looked at any time, there was something going on in all of these faces, um, which it wasn't a star vehicle for Tim or, or Morgan. It was, and I think that's part of, I think that's part of what's fun about watching it now. Is the, there's a, there's a great ensemble feel to it. That that brings up one quick question that I wanted to mention, and we're going to get into this when we talk about Deep Space Nine as well, is do you often watch the things that you have been in? Um, <laughs> I've talked to some people over the years who, who don't do that very much. And so I, I figured I'd throw that question out to you as well. I don't watch, I don't watch the things that I've been in very much. Um, I get, I can, I, it's hard to be, sub, it's hard to be objective about it. Uh, I'm, I'm sort of too critical. Um, mm-hmm. I think everybody else in the scene is magnificent and great. <laughs> and, I, and I sit there looking at myself thinking, why did they hire me? <laughs> That's terrible. Why? They're never, I'm never going to work again. This is awful. So I'm just too crazy. I'm too critical. I'm glad everybody else likes it, but it, it's it's not a lot of fun for me to watch myself. No, interesting. So I do it. I mean, I have to go to screenings and things occasionally, but yeah, but I, but yeah, I, know, I always think everybody else in the film is just brilliant, and and yeah, I was in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was there. I showed up. I was. I was there. I had. <laughs> Well, well, I'm sitting there looking at it. What were you doing with your hands? Why, you, you know, 
why do you need Novocaine in your face? Why, what are you doing? <laughs> Anyways. So, um, so turning to Star Trek, um, I, I, you know, as you were growing up, uh, you were probably a teenager when the original Star Trek was, was on TV, which kind of made you its target market in a way. Did you watch the original series? Yeah. Oh yeah. I was six. I was 16. I think when, it, when it hit the airwaves, um, the original, wasn't it 66? It was. I think it was, yeah. yeah. Um, but even before, I mean, I was, al- I was already a, a, um, a sci-fi fan. My, I had a friend down the road named John Messer. I lived on a farm outside of Buffalo, and we used to run around the barn with BB guns and dive out of the hayloft and roll on the ground and come up shooting. And we would do this for hours and hours and hours race around the barn and then get captured by the Germans and, and then pull out a bologna sandwich and sit down and eat it like hay rations. And we just like, (laughs) we made up, we made up these enormous long, uh, improvs, um, and that was, I mean, I, I guess this was in the days before video games. And, mm-hmm. and, um, living on the farm, we didn't, we couldn't get to the movies easily. But every time we got to the movies, we came back and, you know, acted out. We spent the next two weeks, three weeks, um, acting out <laughs> what we had just seen in the films or on TV. And we had a, he had a chicken coop down the, um, on his farm. Um, there were no chickens in it. But it had a dirt, it was a little tiny room, about 15 feet square. And we put, there's a little, a little square window in one wall. And we put mayonnaise jar lids all over that wall and painted numbers on them. And we used to sit on the dirt floor and look out that window and fly this chicken coop like it was a spaceship <laughs> using the dials that we had made on the wall. And switches and things. It was all, and it was all make believe. But then we would land on strange planets and and take our BB guns and step out <laughs> into the field um, and walk like there was no gravity, which <laughs> would be pretty. Which is I can picture I, it. Would, I wish I could see what it looked like, but the two of us <laughs> just like slow motion walking with our BB guns saying, over there. Watch out behind you. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, by the time Star Trek came along, I was, I was primed. So I thought, yeah. Oh no, go, no, go right ahead. No, no, I just, I, I sort of, I, 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 I've often felt like I spent a good portion of my childhood getting ready for the rehearsing for the career that I ended up having. When I got to the I'll tell you a quick story about Die Hard 2, we were on the set, the scene where we surround the nose cone of the plane and John and Bruce Willis is up in the nose cone and we all empty our automatic rifles into the plane, right? Mm-hmm. And he hits the ejector seat and shoots himself up in the sky. The first take, we have, and we have, we're firing blanks, you know, they're live blanks really loud blanks 
And we bang, 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 bang. And we finished this, the take. And the sound guy came over to me and he took me aside and he said, Bill, you don't mean you don't need to make that sound with your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, and I had, of course, I had because it was so automatic. We, I'd been doing it for you know years around the barn. <laughs> <laughs> mm, that's pretty good. <laughs> You have to make all the sounds yourself or else it's not good. So <laughs> anyway, so yeah, so I had done, um, and f flying to other planets was always part of the play as well. So Bill, I want to, I want to throw something out there real quick, uh, before we get back to the, uh, the Sadler discussion. I, I, I don't know if I told you this, but Mr. Sadler left me a voicemail on my home phone when we first started talking about coming, having him come on the show. And, uh, the message went something like this, Dan, this is Bill Sadler, Luther Sloan, section 31. Carolyn told me to call you because you're a geek. <laughs> It was just awesome. I'm never erasing that <laughs> message ever. <laughs> so we will have more of our interview with William Sadler in just a moment. <laughs> but we wanted to take a few minutes uh, to tell you about Eagle Moss and the official Star Trek Starships collection, Bill. Absolutely. You know, Dan, this collection is so popular and so amazing. It's, of course, officially authorized by CBS Studios. The official Star Trek Starships collection is only available from Eagle Moss Collections. And to say this is the ultimate collection of vessels from across the Star Trek universe almost doesn't do it justice. I mean, we're talking everything from the original series to Next Gen to DS9 to Voyager, all the way through Enterprise and the movies and, of course, Star Trek Beyond. You know I had to do that. I, I just I had to. Each of these models, and of course I'm holding one of these in my hot little hands as I do every single week, mm -hmm. is made of die-cast metal and high-quality ABS materials. And then, of course, it's hand-painted with reference to the actual CG models used in production. And, of course, where they exist, photos of the original studio models, which is the part that I love the most. And those display bases, man, they are solid. They look great. You also get a collector's magazine featuring behind-the-scenes info and original design sketches and breakdowns of technology on board the ship. And you get one of those for every ship that you get. So you can have a great magazine collection in addition to the starships. Um, it's very easy to subscribe. Uh, you can get the USS Enterprise NCC-1701D for only $4.95 with free shipping. That's $4.95. That's pretty good. And additional models, as there are actually almost 150 of them right now, they will ship twice monthly and will be delivered directly to your door. And as a subscriber, Bill, you're also entitled to free gifts worth over $90, and you could cancel your subscription at any time, but... That would just be foolish. Uh, full details can be found at <laughs> st-starships.com st slash trekgeeks. Now, of course, fans who'd like to purchase their favorite starships individually can do so for just a few dollars more. And you can do that either online at shop.eaglemoss.com or at your local comic book shop, which is, of course, very convenient. And sincere thanks to Eagle Moss and the official Star Trek Starships collection for sponsoring this week's show. So you had that that science fiction love growing up. So fast yeah. forward twenty five years, 
and yeah. space nine is, is, is in production and, and going strong. And how did it come about that you were selected to play Sloan? Had you, it was it very specific that you came into audition. Had you ever auditioned for anything else on DS nine and how did that role all come about? Um, I don't think I'd ever been into audition for anything on Deep Space Nine. Um, I had an audition for um, the Voyager, the, mm-hmm. the one after. For yep. the, occasionally, they would bring me in to look at me about being the captain of one of the ships, but um, but they just called up and and offered it. They it was out of the blue. They said would you be interested in playing this arc on Deep Space Nine? And it took me about eight seconds to say, yes, what are you <laughs> kidding me? Of course, <laughs> of course I would. I mean, it was just, I've always, uh, I've always loved, uh, I was always thought that was a great part of the American tapestry, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it's like the fabric of our culture and it, and, the whole Star Trek thing, you know, it had crept into NASA, it crept into our lexicon, it it was it was everywhere. We were all, you know, and then to be asked to be part of, you know, a little part of that story was. Uh, so I was excited to do it. I didn't know anything about the the role that they wanted me to play until I. You know, they gave me the first script and we started talking about it. It was sort of this Oliver North character, the way they described it. Someone who works behind the scenes in a clandestine way to um, believing they're doing this for the good of the world and the good of the nation. But it's completely illegal. And, you know, um, and I thought that was I, I, I just thought that was a great thing to add to the um that would make a great chapter in the star trek story you know the the people who think the ends justify the means mm-hmm. because because they're out there you know i have no doubt did you know at the time that you were coming back for more than one episode or at the time did you just think it was a a one shot i i think i I'm, I'm not sure whether i knew it was an arc or or they had said it was you know, it was just this one episode. Um, I don't recall. Um, they may have told me it was an arc. He would come back, a recurring character. Um, but they, but, but like I said, it was, a, uh, I just, I was intrigued by the idea that he was part of that world, but not part of that world. That he, I'm the very, very first moment that you see him in the first episode that I did, which I forget the name of. Um, he's sitting at the foot of Bashir's bed. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Bashir wakes up and there's this man in his room <laughs> sitting there watching him sleep. And I thought, that is the creepiest thing I have ever read. I want to do that. Um, <laughs> I think you just like to watch Bashir sleep. <laughs> I was, no, it was just this unsettling. It was really, really unsettling and you didn't have to do anything. You could be, you know, you could be the most benign 
character in the world. But there's but the idea of waking up and there's someone been sitting there for hours watching you sleep um, is just was just like, <laughs> and I thought that's a great entrance for for a character. You know, that's a great introduction for a character that you, you know, you're adding to the soup. Who the hell is this guy? Hmm. Um, no, I got attracted to the character right away. One of the, you, you just mentioned it. One of the things that I love is, is in these episodes that you're in, a vast majority of the scenes are with, are with Bashir or with Sid. Um, what was it like to work with him? And I'll, I'll ask a, a part two question of that also is all of these amazing actors on the show that have all these theatrical backgrounds. What was it like on the set with all of these people who, for all accounts and purposes, had a very, very tight relationship during that seven seasons um, as actors? Uh, what was it like to be part of that, Bill? The, there's a there's a thing that happens when you're on a show for a long time and you become kind of a family, um, and you when you step onto a show like that as a guest star, which is what they what they call it, that's sort of your your rank. Um, it always feels to me like you're stepping onto a moving train. You know, everybody else, everybody on the room knows everybody else. Everybody on the set knows. Every actor knows every camera guy, every grip, every, you know, it's, and you don't know anybody. <laughs> you, um, you don't know a soul and you're trying to memorize lines and they're very, very picky. They're very, very strict about memorizing lines. You can't mess with these words. They're written mm -hmm. uh, the way they're written and they're written that way for a reason. Um, so you, you can't alter a, the, a but anything. So it's, it's a bit, it's kind of nerve wracking. But what I found were people like Michael Dorn um, sort of uh, befriend you. And um, I think he directed one of them, but, um, and Sid, they, they, go out of their way to make you feel comfortable to make, to help you adjust to that because that, I don't know. You're like, you're the new kid in the class and you're, and that makes, that's nervous making on top of you're going to be asked to perform for the class, you know? Um, so it's, I, I found them, I found them gracious and, uh, and fun to play with, you know? They very quickly made me feel like I was part of the part of the family. That's great. I find that yeah. one of the things I enjoy the most about Sloan is is the fact that he's an enigma, and I think that's why Star Trek fans are fascinated by the character and enjoy the the Sloan episodes so much. Um, I, I think that in the the episode where you know uh, Sloan winds up on Romulus has as part of a larger plot, I think is probably the more interesting one to me because we don't know if we're going to see him again. Um, th there's a, probably more political intrigue 
with Sloan than probably any other character in Deep Space Nine. Um, did, did you find that it, that it played well in the Star Trek setting? Was there anything real world that you tried to bring to Sloan other than Oliver North? Um, what, uh, how did the, the role evolve for you over time? I'm, I hadn't been a, a big uh, Deep Space Nine watcher up until then. It wasn't, I'm, I wasn't really very familiar with uh, with the, with that world, which made it um, in in some ways it worked in my favor because he is because he's not of that world. He moves he moves behind that world, you know, just just under the surface, um, and so I guess. The, I was involved. I was uh, involved in the politics of the day. Um, what was going on in the world uh, with the elections and what have you? I've always been a sort of a political creature, so I was I was kind of fascinated by the um, you know this Machiavellian scheme. <laughs> 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 this, uh, um, yeah, yeah. I guess I, I don't know. You just sort of put one foot in front of the other. I didn't have a I didn't have a grand scheme coming in to play this guy. Um, I sort of do what I always do with these characters. I look at what they say and what they're doing and try to imagine what sort of person would would it, what sort of person would do that. You know, um, and. Um, I don't know that that's that's just sort of that's always been my my technique. There's also no time on these sets. I don't know if you've ever watched the filming of a of an episode, but you you show up on the set and there's like I don't know I forget how many days filming it is, but there's <clears throat> there's almost no rehearsal. You you run it through a couple of times and everybody decides you'll come in the door move over to the table on this line, sit down, say you're, you know, this part here, he's going to get up on that line. And that's the scene. Then, and then you film it. There's no, um, (laughs) there's, there's very little rehearsal beyond that. So you sort of have to come with your own. You already have to know what you're doing before you, Mm-hmm. Before you show up, um, what was I going to say? Yeah, you mentioned this earlier when you were talking. We were talking about Section Thirty-One and and how uh, they believe in what they're doing is right. And you said the ends justify the means, which is actually a direct quote that you used on Bashir as Sloan in one of the episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, Section Thirty-One has become a huge part of Star Trek lore. It's loved by many people, including myself. It's hated by many people because it goes against, quote, Gene's vision, which is something that can drive Bill and I crazy from time to time. Mm. Uh, we've seen it in <laughs> Enterprise. We've seen it in the new Star Trek Discovery. Um, yeah. And there have been novels about it. And now there are rumors that Michelle Yeoh is in talks with CBS to have a Section 31 spinoff series. Really? Yeah, and I'm very excited about that. But what does it mean to you, Bill, to be the first person to portray someone from that organization 
and the growth that Section 31 has seen in the last 25 years. I mean, you were the first person to portray this type of character, and now it's just it's continuing to grow and grow. I think it's I'm I'm I, I guess I'm I'm proud of that. I think um, and kind of amazed by it. Um, it's an intriguing idea, and this 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 idea that the things are going on under the surface that there are people um i forget he had a line something like you didn't um you don't think you don't think you won that war by yourselves did you you know um i'm i'm fascinated by it one of the one of the star trek conventions i went to i think down in florida there were people making costumes um luther sloan costumes and they had a charter and a section 31 charter i was like holy toledo this is <laughs> this is getting out of hand um, but i but like i said i thought it was an absolutely fascinating uh, idea to drop this this completely amoral human into such a such a good world or you know mm-hmm. The charter is all about democracy and tolerance and um, doing the right thing by people and so on, and somehow trying to survive as a civilization and come to find out that 200 years ago, there was this organization um, started that um, nobody nobody knew about, (laughs) nobody talked, nobody knew about. And it's been all these years, it's been acting on its own with no answering to no one, just deciding this planet needs to catch a terrible disease. Um, Let's go. And do you know what I mean? Changing the history, changing the history of the universe in ways Mm -hmm. that, but answerable to no one. It, um, it seems more relevant now than ever, yeah, doesn't exactly. it? Yeah. I thought it was extraordinarily. I thought it was extraordinarily relevant. Uh, extraordinarily relevant when I was filming these things. I thought, wow. Um, but since then, it's uh, you know, it's become even more relevant. I have to say, the first day on the set, um, one of the first things <laughs> I was stumbling around, amazed at these wonderful sets with the stars sliding by the windows on big rollers. And mm-hmm. <laughs> I was just, I was just infatuated. I was like, a, you know, the, 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 the little kid in me, it was just bubbling. <laughs> but I asked, uh, his name wasn't in the script. They called him director Sloan. And I said, does he have a first name? And they called up to the writer's room. And about a half hour later, it came back. I guess they decided that his, that his first name was Luther. And which, <laughs> which helped. It helped me. It helped me finish the picture of, you know, I thought that was, I thought that was fun. Other was than, a, yeah. Other than those two things that you just dis- discussed, the rolling Starfield and, and the first name, is there anything 
specific from your time on the set that stands out as your fondest or best memory of being on the show? <laughs> my fondest or my best? <laughs> <laughs> Other than sitting um, in on a chair watching somebody sleep. <laughs> I'm. That was fun. That was, <laughs> that was truly enjoyable. One of the weirdest things about it was uh, you get to wear these um, Star Trek underwear. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if you've, you must be aware of this stuff that the men, the, all the men on this, on all the Star Trek shows have to wear special dance belts so that your junk is, you look like a Ken doll. <laughs> it's true. It's true. That's, you won't hear a lot about that. <laughs> Um, on other podcasts, but it's the deep, dark secret of the final frontier. It is. It is a big, deep, dark secret. Um, let's see what was fun about it. I guess the, um, there's a theatricality that I, before I did my first film, I did dozens and dozens and dozens of, I lived in New York for 11 years and I had done the theater and Broadway and all of my, all of my training had to do with the stage and um, sometimes creating larger than life characters like the Grim Reaper or like, um, and I love, I love the theatricality of it. The sort of form, there's a formality in the Star Trek world mm -hmm. that, um, doesn't exist in other, you know, you won't, if you want, you won't see it on the wire or, <laughs> you know, um, you won't see it anywhere else, but you'll see it there and you'll always see it there. They write it in and they, um, and they nurture it. They, they design it in this sort of, um, just a little bit larger than life characters, a little bit larger a little bit more formal dialogue. And um, I remember, I remember thinking at, uh, somewhere in the middle of the first episode that I shot them, this felt very much at home to me. Um, you know, I like this style. I like it's it's slightly stylized, and it's deliberately so. Um, and I like I enjoyed that. I thought I'm well. You I'm well to this world. You've got millions of fans uh, in the Star Trek universe on based on your portrayal of Sloan. A lot of these fans congregate uh, all over the world all the time to different conventions, STLV being the biggest one every August. Um, you mentioned uh, a little bit um, about conventions uh, during our discussion. Do you get to go to a lot of conventions? And I guess maybe the better question is, do you want to go to these conventions to have people dressed up as you and, and stuff like that? Um, is that something that you're like, huh? Or is that something that you're really flattered by? I'm, I'm, I am flattered by it. I've done, a, I've done a few conventions. I don't, I don't do an awful lot of them cause I'm usually busy. Um, I, it's hard for me to plan that far ahead. Sure. Because I never, you know, I get, it's the life, it's just the life of an actor. They, you know, you get a phone call and all of a sudden you're, you know, I'm up in Winnipeg shooting the grudge or 
whatever. It's a good problem to have. But I like doing conventions. I enjoy them. I think um, I'm also a funny. I'm a funny actor to to go to these things. I the Star Trek ones is very specific, but um, but I also get invited to horror uh, conventions. Oh sure. You know, this one in Texas, I think, called the Horror Hound that I did once, um, and they're great. They're 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 great fun. I just don't I don't pay a lot of attention to. I don't I don't go I don't go looking for them. But if they're if they were offered, I would absolutely. I, in, and the reason isn't so much that as as fun as it is to hear hundreds of people say I loved you in. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's which is great for your ego. You have to, yeah. I have to admit, um, it's also it's also interesting when you do film and television. You never know how this thing, what you've just done, landed. Sure. In the theater, you can see how it's landing because they're right there. Yeah. But when you do, you do something on film like Deep Space Nine or like the Shawshank Redemption. And then to have people say, my dad and I watched the Shawshank Redemption every month. It was part of our routine, you know, or things like that. You don't, um, it's a, these conventions are, are a chance to hear people tell you how, how this stuff landed, you know, um, how it affected their lives, which is, which is fascinating. Um, I tend to, you know, we tend to do them and you move on. I'm off to another gig and there's a gig after that and one after that. And, you know, you lose track of, <laughs> you forget that this, this stuff went into millions of homes and living rooms and people went, Ooh, mm -hmm. uh, you know? Well, your character is forever cemented in, in Star Trek history and lore. Uh, Bill, we cannot thank you enough for joining us uh, to discuss these memories uh, from not only Deep Space Nine, but from some of the other things that you've done in your wonderful career. Uh, you are welcome back on Trek Geeks anytime, and we would love to see you at a convention sometime in the future. Thank you so, so much for joining us today. You're very welcome. It's been great. Dan, we have to offer our sincere and grateful thanks to, uh, to Carolyn once again uh, for setting us up with Bill Sadler and, of course, to Mr. William Sadler, the incomparable William Sadler, uh, for taking some time out of his incredibly busy schedule, um, which we know he is still shooting stuff, Yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, to come talk to us. It was, it was great. You know, we've had the honor of having some of these Star Trek actors on the show, and the discussions are always amazing because we get to hear those memories, um, especially now with Deep Space Nine's 25th anniversary celebration, those memories of what it was like to be on the set. And it's really cool to get that perspective from the actor as to what was going on at the time. And on the same token, Bill really seemed to appreciate hearing what – his work on Deep Space Nine was received by us, the fans. So it's it's a win-win. I had a great time, and I really hope we get to talk to him again sometime. 
We've reached out to Creation Entertainment uh, to let them know that, hey, you got to get William Sadler at STLV. Mm -hmm. And if you would love to see William Sadler come to Star Trek Las Vegas, then please tweet Creation, email Creation, you know, uh, post to their Facebook page that you'd love to see William Sadler because we absolutely would would love nothing more than to see him go to Vegas and uh, and just be exposed to thousands of Star Trek fans. <laughs> um, and plus, uh, as a side note, so I went to his Instagram, which uh, his handle on Instagram is that actor guy. Yes. Which I think is hilarious. Mm -hmm. And he has a photo of him as Banjo Billy from 1967 or 1968 on there. And uh, he looks like he just stepped right out of a barbershop quartet and has a banjo on his knee. He's got the vest. He's got the hat. He's got the whole nine. But uh, you can see exactly what he was talking about on his own Instagram, which I think is fantastic. It is fantastic. When you sent me that, I'm like, oh, my God, is that a real picture of him? And uh, absolutely it is. But it just... It when he talked about how he first got into acting, that's exactly what he brought up. And then we now we have the proof in pictures. The internet's a beautiful thing sometimes, man. It really is. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> I um but no, uh, thanks everyone for checking out this interview with Bill Sadler and uh, and thanks to him for for taking the time out of his schedule. We're truly grateful for having uh having had that conversation. Uh Dan Another thing we're truly grateful for is the music of Five Year Mission each and every week here on Trek Geeks. They are five fantastic guys without whom, um, well, we'd have to listen to a whole lot more Dan Davidson and that really wow. would just be horrible for wow. everybody. Wow. Yeah. Uh, tell me about it. Okay. Yeah. Well. So uh, we want everyone to head on to fiveyearmission.net, score yourself some great tunes Really, you're going to love it. Year four is available right now. It's their brand new album, but you can get all the other ones too. Year one, year two, year three, Spock's Brain, Trouble with Tribbles. You can get it all on your handy dandy mobile device or even get the CD so you can have those copies in your hot little hands. But uh, that's fiveyearmission.net, Dan. You know, uh, as we record, and we've talked about it a couple of times, and you'll hear a little bit more in the outtake, it's getting close to Thanksgiving here in the United States. And, and um, Bill, I'm thankful for Five Year Mission. I really am. They're I great. Too. Love them. All the guys, Noah, Patrick, Mike, Chris, and of course, a very happy Thanksgiving uh, to Captain Andy Farkle Von Poopstein. Um, and if anybody doesn't know what I'm talking about, go check out our Facebook page. Go check out Camp Kittimer. Or get, go check out Andy Fark's Twitter handle. It is quite funny. <laughs> Why well, no episode this week, huh? You know, I just, you know, Thanksgiving, you know, I could have talked maybe some Charlie X, you know, Farkle X, Farky X, something like that, because Thanksgiving is referenced in that one. But you know, I figured I'd give everybody a break. I saw the tweets this week about it. I'm, I'm giving people what they want. I'm a little bit of a week off, but I'll be back. Mm. Well, you're you're a man of the people. You know that? <laughs> that's, I, uh, I appreciate that's that. That's farking amazing. I wow. So, okay. So you took care of it for me this week. Thanks, Yeah, yeah. Bill. You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> but that's uh, fiveyearmission.net. Score yourself some great tunes. Please become huge fans because we are ourselves. Dan, next week, we're going to take a week off to spend some time with our families during the Thanksgiving holiday. But when we return the week after... It's time for another fan favorite. Fan favorite? Hey, don't sell yourself short, Bill. It's a Trek Geeks favorite also. Uh, yes, it is that time uh, when we return during the week of December 3rd. We're going to welcome back our great friend and Camp Kittimer admin, Dan Garcia. And we're going to tackle Season 6 of Deep Space Nine as we welcome the return of See It or Skip It. Skip It. Skip It. That's next time on Trek Geeks, your independent Star Trek podcast. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> it's a shame you're not excited for this. I'm very I mean, excited about this. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, that, that's that's fantastic. Uh, you're even excited because Garcia is going to be on. That's oh my be god, fun I too. can't wait! I give him a big hug through the microphone when I talk to him. <laughs> <laughs> or a punch, one or the other. I'm not sure yet. Uh, one of the two. It's going to be one of those. Uh, Dan, of course, for more great Star Trek discussion, we want everyone to head on over to the Tricorder Transmissions online at the thetricordertransmissions.com. So many podcasts. Uh, guaranteed to be something for every Star Trek fan on the planet and even off the planet, just in case. And, of course, Dan, for all the news on all the Star Trek's yo. Please visit our great friends at treknews.net. For now, this has been episode 160 of the Trek Geeks podcast. We do hope you all live long and prosper. Coconut. Sorry, that was my Hank Williams impersonation from Shawshank Redemption in honor of Mr. William Sadler. Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> Chicago. Chicago. <laughs> You're out of it. <laughs> Music for Trek Geeks is provided by Five Year Mission. They're writing one song for each episode of the original series. Download their music at fiveyearmission.net. Trek Geeks, a Star Trek podcast, is a production of Coconut Media Works, executive producer Bill Smith. For even more Star Trek discussion, check out Discovering Trek, a Star Trek Discovery Companion, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and discoveringtrek.com. Bing bong. Bing bong. Vacation boy. Uh, that is true. As people hear this, I am on vacation. And Dan doesn't like you more than usual. I was going to say, uh, that's, uh, water is wet. <laughs> no, I think it's great. You deserve it. Um, this is a yearly thing for you, and uh, I hope you have a great trip. Headed down to uh, the the peach state, the peach tree state, Georgia. Mm -hmm. And um, we are going to uh, spend some time with family for the uh, U.S. Thanksgiving holiday. I'm very excited. That's awesome. And, and you know, I can, I can feel great about it and wish you all the best and have a great time. Because when you get back the following week, at the end of the week, I will be heading to Disney. So, <laughs> and? And I'm happy about that. Uh, congratulations. Thank you. Um, you'll still be suffering through work for the next week while I'm gone. <laughs> well, two days. Two days. That's all right. Yeah, we'll see. And I don't we'll have see. to commute with you, so plus right there. So um, it's a win -win. Nobody is more acutely aware of that than I. Hey, it's a win-win, baby. Yeah, your face is a win-win. I am well aware of that, too. Thank you. See, you're full of compliments today, and I appreciate that. Uh, I, uh, I don't know what I was thinking. I think I got post-gym brain. <laughs> I was the gym. Fantastic. Yeah? Yeah. Um, Sue and I will be going at 8 a.m. on Thanksgiving morn. Nice. Yes. Yeah. Uh, M's going to be down from Maine, and we're going to see if he wants to go with us. And I think my sister's going to join us as well. My brother-in-law is a big, fat baby, and he won't go. <laughs> <laughs> Does he, he listen to the podcast at no, all? No, but I might have listened to this one. <laughs> nice. Yep. Nice. Yep. Um uh, so, yeah, it'll be fun. Uh, it'll be good to get up early and go do that and get the juices flowing before we head over to the sisters for the day. Well, then you get the rest of the day ahead of you, which is good, too. Yeah, yeah. And then we're going to go up to Maine on Friday and get some more stuff out of storage because that's what we do. We're going to work out actually a couple of times while we're down in Georgia. Mm -hmm. So Good. Um, yeah, it'll be good. Got to work off those Thanksgiving calories somehow. My word. I'm not going to eat, I don't think. <laughs> You're such a liar. I'm going to have celery and cream cheese. I know that. 
<laughs> what? Ooh, why celery? Ooh. I love celery and cream cheese. It's something my mom has made since I was a kid. It's got olives in it, olive in the cream cheese, and she puts it on the celery. I could eat like 30 stalks of that stuff, man. I love it. I hate celery and I hate olives. <laughs> then I'll have yours. <laughs> so just back some cream cheese up onto my plate and I'll be fine. I'll just eat it plain. There you go. Excellent. Okay. I, I don't even need a bagel. Nothing. <laughs> just right out of the bowl. Just scoop it right into my mouth. Mm, that's good stuff. I love cream cheese. That's good, good, good. <laughs> but here it is. That's good stuff. <sighs> what else is going on? Uh. I was going to ask you the same question. I just, uh, right before we came up to record tonight, I just happened to be flipping through the sta- the stations as Sue and I were eating dinner. And on BBC America, uh, TNG Cause and Effect was on. Oh, it was. I was channel surfing. So good. During dinner and saw that. Yeah. Um, I, I like the fact that TNG is on BBC America, but I hate that they edit the hell out of those episodes. Yeah, they do. I, yeah, but uh, this one I, I just watch to enjoy. I just love it. And whenever that's on, I can't help but think of Morehouse and his face. The Enterprise has been caught in a temporal causality loop. And it's like, hey, that's on his show. <laughs> Hi, Jim. Big jerk. <laughs> Why are you calling Jim a big jerk? No, I was looking at you in the laptop. Uh, nobody's going to know that. I just told him. Um, yeah, because it sounds like you're calling Jim a big nah, jerk. Jim knows that I think he's just a dandy kind of guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Don't put words so, in my mouth. I don't have to. You did for me. <laughs> right. You did for me. So, do you have any Thanksgiving traditions or anything like that, or aside from the the whole celery stalks, the cream cheese, and the olives? <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say traditions. No, I don't think so. Not really. We just always get together. We used to get together at my mom's house um, up on Browning, of course, growing up, and then as we got older. But then they sold the house, so um, we now do it at uh, my sister's, and we're going to take Christmas for the first time this year, which is oh wow, yeah. So we're going to have everybody over Christmas, but we're going to go over Donna's. We'll just chill out. Um, have a good afternoon, relax, maybe see what's going on with the NFL on, on Thanksgiving Day. But nothing super, nothing super traditiony. We don't have like a turkey egg hunt or anything like that. No, <laughs> I'm sorry, a turkey egg hunt. What the hell is that? I don't know. I was just mixing in a couple holidays there, and that's what came out. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say a turkey. So huh. we uh, we obviously go to my sister's in in Georgia every year, and. In the town she resides in, they have a a giant Christmas tree lighting Thanksgiving night. Yes. And so we go to that, Mm -hmm. and then we go back to my sister's house for pie. So it's become a a great tradition. We go to this. It kicks off our holiday season every year, and uh, it's just it's a bunch of fun. I mean, Santa shows up. All the kids go crazy. Um, You know, there's pie. Who doesn't love pie? Pie is good. Team pie. Yeah. Team pie. And then... um, I guess uh, Sunday night football. Uh, sorry, uh, Thursday night football. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess the the Falcons are playing, so everybody oh. down there is going to want to watch the Falcons. Oh so. yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, but I mean, usually we'll break out some cards or whatever and, and do that kind of thing. It's always a, a fun week, and it really just gets my holiday season off on the right foot. Nice, that's great. It's um, I'll be starting a new tradition this year. Uh, I will be making chocolate peppermint martinis for everyone on Thursday, uh, with special uh, peppermint Hershey Kisses melted to do the ring around the, the martini glass, topped off with peppermint whipped cream that we found at the store the other day. 
Wow. It's going to be good. Lady Godiva chocolate in there and uh, chocolate uh, liqueur. It's going to be pretty awesome. That sounds fantastic. Hey, speaking of the NFL, let's go off on an NFL tangent for a quick second here in the outtake because it's always fun to talk about. Did you see what happened to Alex Smith yesterday? I watched it live. Okay. I did not see it. I will not watch the video. But have you heard all the similarities about what happened with Theismann? That it was 33 years to the day that the score was exactly the same and that Theismann was there at the stadium yesterday? The yard line was the same, too. Oh, my God. Was it? Yeah, but unlike Theismann, it wasn't a compound fracture. Uh, In in the 80s, you saw Theismann's bone leave his leg. Yes. And you did not see that with Alex Smith. Um, Like a pencil. Yeah, it was. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, not uh, not fun. Yum. Uh, Alex Smith has a long road ahead. Yes, of him. he does. Sports talk, brought to you by Trek Geeks. That's a, that's all I have to say about that, Forrest. That's good because I'm sure that the uh, the listeners who tuned out at this point of the outtake um, are very happy to hear that. Bill, I gotta, I'm going to tell you, the listeners never tune out because of your mellifluous tones. The listeners do tune out when you start talking about sports ball. <laughs> Sorry, dummy. Oh, you lit up like... That's because I switched screens. Oh, dark. It was light. It was dark. It was light. It was oh, dark. Go back to light. dark. <laughs> go back to dark. Wow. Thanks. You <laughs> you have a face for the for the, the dark of night. Thank you. Really you. Do. Thank you so much. Yeah. You, uh, you ready to do this there, uh, jerk face? Yeah, because the sooner we start, the sooner we can be done. Oh, music to my ears. <laughs> Thank you.